Hey, Crossroads, it's so great to have you with us. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us online. Would you take a moment right there in our chat? Let us know who you are. We love to be able to connect with you. And, and as always, throughout this entire service, you can jump on the live prayer button. And if you want prayer, there's somebody there to pray for you. Hey, something awesome we do every week is our hashtag Crossroads at Home. And we love to invite you to join us once again to hashtag Crossroads at Home and take a picture. And this week, we want to get a picture with your pet. If you have a pet, take a picture with your pet, hashtag Crossroads at Home at Crossroads Wired. And we love to check out how you're watching online with your pet. Now, I want to tell you, my preference would be no cats, but we love to have you. Make sure you show your pet. We're just going to have a great time with our hashtag. By the way, we're in some exciting moments as a church. Yes, there's some questionable times. We are in unprecedented seasons. But there are so many great things that are happening. And uh, we're in this season that we've called 40 Days of Gratitude. And it's been amazing. We have served over 1,000 people with meals uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been infiltrating our community with 26 different organizations that we partner with, and we've been able to infuse the community with love, with grace, and with meals. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for those of you that have given. Uh, we're going to continue over the next few days, and uh, we'll see 40 days of of showing gratitude by infusing generosity. And so thank you so much for your faithfulness. I did want to mention to you, we will be having on May 9th and 10th during our service, most likely online, we're going to be having communion. And so if you get a chance uh, to go to the store, grab some grape juice, grab some bread, doesn't matter what kind you get, just join us for communion together on May 9th and 10th, that weekend, through our online campus. If you need some elements, Make sure you let us know at the church. We'll make sure to provide that for you. We want to, as a church body, partake of communion together on the weekend of May 9th and 10th. We're looking forward to that. By the way, next few weeks you're going to be hearing about our communities launch. Our small groups are still launching. Uh, this summer, and we're going to be starting online, and uh, we're excited about that. We have some great groups that you can be a part of. By the way, our team is still working. We're going to keep you posted over the next few weeks. Make sure you look at our updates. I know I give out an update every week uh, through social media as well, through email, just to let you know of, of the happenings in our church. We're going to be letting you know about some changes that will be coming up as we prepare to be back together. And can I tell you, we can't wait to be with you. We are ready to celebrate. We're going to have a party. Uh, we're just going to have a great time when we get to join back together with precautions but we look forward to that time. If you would take your Bibles out or your electronic devices and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 together. We're in a series called hashtag asking for a friend. And what that means is usually when you have a question that you want to ask but you're too maybe embarrassed to ask it, you use a hashtag asking for a friend. You, you act like a friend is asking it so that you can ask it. And so we've been in this series, we kicked off last week, called Hashtag Asking for a Friend. By the way, if you'll grab the bulletin, our program, the notes right there in our app or online, right there in what you're watching, if you just hit the notes, you'll see that we also put together a resource page. And those resources are meant to encourage you and help you with some of these answers and some of these topics 
that we're going through. And so take a look at those resources. If you want any of those, let us know. And uh, you can order those online. We'd love to get you connected so you can have resources to answer these questions even better. This week, we want to look at this hashtag. If I disagree with someone, can I still love them? Hashtag asking for a friend. If I disagree with someone, can I still love them? Now, the simple answer that we all would say is yes. But it's really not that easy to live out in the culture that we live. There are many different ways we can take this, right? One of those ways is what about just in our family? If we disagree, can we still love each other? That's simple. That makes sense. But what about people in culture that we disagree with? Now, remember years ago, uh, when I lived in Maryland and pastored there, I I was a part of a pregnancy center board, and I served on a board at a pregnancy center that kind of oversaw uh, the pregnancy centers in the community, and uh, they had a great ministry. Uh, it was a vital ministry in a place where abortion clinics were abundant, and so uh, it had a great ministry there in that community, and I served eventually as the chairman, the president of the board. And uh, one of the events that we had together as a community was something called 40 Days for Life. And one of the moments, one of the opportunities we had was to, to walk around the local abortion clinic. And uh, they serviced multiple people every week who got abortions. And we decided to walk around the block of the abortion clinic and spend some time in prayer. It was peaceful. We weren't holding up signs. We were just walking around the block and we were praying for an end to abortion in our community. And I remember one day specifically as we walked around, there was a group of us, we were walking around the abortion clinic, kind of around the block. A group of people stopped us and began to kind of aggressively come at us, not physically, but verbally. And they began to attack us. How could you, if you're Christians, aren't you supposed to be for the rights of people? Aren't you all about freedom? Like, wouldn't Jesus be for people making their own decisions? And then they said this line, you guys are so intolerant. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Here we were, peacefully walking around a block, praying and yet we were called intolerant. Now think about the contradictory of that. Of all people, they were intolerant. Like we didn't stop them from the right to say whatever they want. We were peacefully praying. And yet that is exactly the culture that we find ourselves in. Tolerance has been redefined. See, tolerance as a world is like a tidal wave in our mainstream living. I mean, tolerance is the praise virtue in every school setting, in every media outlet, and certainly in job training workshops. Everybody talks about tolerance. There seems to be in our culture no true way to really love someone or, or to love people than to fully accept everything about them. And this has created confusions for you and I who claim to be Christians. This has created confusion and chaos. Because the question is, how do we love someone that has a different opinion? How do we love someone that maybe lives a different lifestyle? How do we love someone and yet disagree with them? And on the surface, it would seem to be a positive virtue, right? That we should be about tolerance. It seems to exemplify Christian living. The, the problem is, the word tolerance 
has been redefined. I want to go back a couple decades and define tolerance. Tolerance, by definition, really follows this definition. This would be considered the classical definition of tolerance. It is this. It is that I disagree with you, but I'm going to treat you with respect and dignity. I disagree with you, but I'm going to treat you with respect and dignity. I want you to think about that definition for a moment. By definition, tolerance means I'm disagreeing with you. There is no need for tolerance if I agree with you. The reason it's called tolerance is because I actually do disagree with you. By the way, the word tolerance in its purest form literally means to endure the pain. So to be tolerant means I'm going to endure the pain of not agreeing with you and yet treat you well. It's in its own definition. Tolerance, by definition, means we're going to have disagreements. And so in its classical definition, we disagree, but we treat each other with respect and dignity. If I was at your house and you were listening to some music and it's not my style of music, I might disagree with you about which singer is the best, but I'm going to tolerate that. It's not something I'm going to maybe argue with you, but I, I disagree with you, but I love you, right? This is the image. There's tons of things like this where we may disagree, but we respect and we show dignity. Tolerance, by its definition, means we're not alike. It means we're different. We can agree to disagree. But in our culture, we have shifted the definition. Today, our new definition in our culture is this. Our new definition of tolerance is, I am obligated to approve and agree with you as a way of respect and dignity. Now, I want you to notice the shuttle shift. Shift. New tolerance suggests that actually tolerating someone's position means that you're believing that person's position is equally true to you. If you disagree, you really can't because tolerance means you don't disagree because you're approving and agreeing that their view is just as valid as yours. It's by nature approval and it's acceptance. So we live in a culture that yells, let's be tolerant of each other. We have different viewpoints, different religions, different political persuasions, but let's love and accept each other for who we are and don't try to change me. See, the current view of tolerance is you're not able to change me. I am this way because I want to be this way, and you don't have the right to tell me any different. And so tolerance is you got to accept it, and you better approve it. You better be okay with it. You can't disagree with me. It's all about acceptance. If you disagree with me, you're actually intolerant in our culture today. Now, now this, this gets even trickier in a postmodern world. In fact, I would argue that this idea of tolerance is actually what's defining postmodernism in our world today. In fact, the United Nations, the United Nations, this group that gathers the nations together and leads the world, actually made a declaration in 1995 that declared this. This is called the United Nations Declaration of Principles of Tolerance. Here's the definition in this declaration by the United Nations. Listen to this. Tolerance involves the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. 
Tolerance means that every individual's beliefs, lifestyle, and perception of truth are equal and should be treated as such. It means that whatever your belief is, whatever your lifestyle is, whatever your perception is, it better not disagree with somebody else because everybody's beliefs are valid. Everybody's beliefs are the same. And that statement in the United Nations renounces the right to say to somebody, you're wrong. Now, I want to think about this. This overflows in the religious world as well. It actually overflows to Christianity. There were some polls done by, by Lifeway Research as well as Barna, and I, I want to share with you some of these. This is how tolerance, this new definition, has overflowed to Christianity. 70% of all major religious groups say many religions lead to eternal life. So 70% of religious groups say there are many ways to eternal life. So why follow one religious group? 68% say there's more than one way to interpret the teachings of our religion. 65% of those who classify themselves as Christians, by the way, 65% of Americans say they're Christians. 43% of them said it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because they all teach the same lesson. So think about this. 65% say, I'm a Christian. But 40% say, follow whatever you want. doesn't really matter. It's all the same. This overflows to even detailed beliefs as Christians. 50% of all people believe, this is Christians, believe that all people are eventually saved and accepted by God. 50% of those who profess Christ believe that what is right and wrong should be interpreted by individuals and depends on situations. Do you see the hypocrisy of that? I mean, this is hypocritical. Tolerance actually isn't true. In fact, this idea of tolerance, this new definition of tolerance, is a big lie. It's fake. In our world, you might call it fake news. Like, this isn't tolerance at all, because one of the caveats that has been built in our new definition of tolerance is there can be no tolerance for people who do not agree with the contemporary usage of the term tolerance. If you don't follow what tolerance is and you don't accept other people's views as right, you are bigoted and you're intolerant. But this is not what tolerance means. It's contradictory. It doesn't work. In fact, it's hypocritical. Why? Because everybody is intolerant of something. Everybody's intolerant of something. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen those shows on ABC. Uh, ABC has a show called What Would You Do? And they put uh, people in scenarios and they have hidden cameras and they see how people react to the scenario. And they, these hidden cameras reveal people's reactions and, and, uh, and, and maybe even actions they take and emotions they feel. And one of them was about a child who was kind of being tore down by a parent at a restaurant. And it was interesting because every single person that they tested with what would they do, every person had no clue cameras were on them. When they saw the child being mistreated by an adult, guess what they did? They got up and said something. Every time. Why? Because we do not tolerate people treating children poorly. We don't tolerate it. All of us are at times intolerant. Everybody has something that they're intolerant about. By the way, you have to look on Facebook. Facebook reveals intolerances. 
We all say we're tolerant until we go on Facebook. What we do is we disagree with something, so we go on to social media, and we say freely whatever we feel like saying. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And you find there that actually we are a people who are intolerant. In fact, I would dare say the intolerance of our tolerance. Religion, political persuasion, lifestyles, even sports teams. We are intolerant people. All of us have something we are intolerant about. There are many, they view the church and it's intolerant. And it's because they're actually intolerant. The intolerance of tolerance. See, our new definition of tolerance is logically incoherent. It doesn't make sense. It can't work. It's self-contradictory. Now, I want to go back 2,000 years ago to this epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans. Rome was the capital city of the Roman Empire. It was the melting pot of culture and religion. Uh, The pantheon of Roman gods were worshipped there. And yet Paul writes his letters to Christians, Christians who were in a bit of turmoil. The reason they were in turmoil is because the Jews and Gentiles weren't getting along. And Paul writes to say, wait a minute here, you've been brought into the body together. You ought to get along. There's differences about you, but Christ has saved you. And so he spends 11 chapters arguing that the gospel has come to both of them. And they should agree on what matters most. While having the outside pressure of the world, the culture that was very tolerant in their day, many religions, many perspectives, many persuasions, while the church started to see that infiltrate it, Paul writes and reminds them, this is who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done. You are the body of Christ because of the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. You belong together in a family. You have been spiritually redeemed. And now we come to chapter 12, and he now brings application to the truth of Jesus Christ. Take a look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God that I wrote about for 11 chapters, God's mercies that that has been expressed to you by Jesus Christ. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He uses sacrificial language and says, listen, Not only were you redeemed spiritually, but you're also redeemed physically. See, this is what I love about the gospel. The gospel doesn't just save us spiritually. The gospel actually redeems us physically. Yes, our bodies will die. We still suffer. But one day, these bodies will be made new. It's a physical salvation too. Our our bodies now matter for something valuable. Our bodies now are the temple of God, it says in 1 Corinthians. These bodies matter. And so he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. He says, here's how you do it. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to their ideologies and their lifestyles and their opinions, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the gospel message. Here's the point. 
What Paul is saying is this, that among all other relationships, Jew, Gentile, Rome, all other relationships, different perspectives, different persuasions, different opinions, all other relationships, here's what he's saying, and this is number one, faithfulness to Christ is above all other relationships. The point is we sacrifice our body not just for the good of other people, but as a living sacrifice for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, our faithfulness to Christ trumps all other relationships. It's above all. Now, why is that important? Because when we disagree with someone, we have to remember first that faithfulness to Christ is above all. That's where Paul starts his argument. He's writing this letter to say, Jew and Gentile, you're in the body together. This is what Christ has done to purchase you both. And then he says, so present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is not about the other people. This is not the people of different opinions and people we disagree with. First of all, faithfulness to Christ above all. By the way, I love A.L. Huxley, a well-known English novelist. He wrote this about Romans 12. He said, it doesn't take much of you to be a Christian. God did all the work. It just takes all of you to live as a Christian. It doesn't take much to be a Christian. God did all the work. But it takes all of you to actually live out Christianity. Henry Drummond, who was a great friend of D.L. Moody, he wrote this. He said, the entrance fee to God's kingdom is nothing, but the annual dues are everything. Listen, in any relationship that we have, the question first is my faithfulness to Christ above all. Can I tell you, if we live that out, that might solve a lot of disagreements that we have. Is my faithfulness to Christ above every other relationship? But he goes on here. He then describes what does it look like to be a living sacrifice. Take a look at verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Faithfulness to Christ above all, and now he says, let love be genuine. This is number two. How do we in a culture look like the Christ we're offering ourselves to. What does it look like? We present our, God, our, our, present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, and now I present my body, my life, to somebody else. How do I do that? Well, he says here, number two, treat everyone with love and dignity. Treat everyone with love and dignity. If you present your body as a living sacrifice to Christ, now let love be genuine. Christ, I give you my all. You're the relationship above all other relationships. And now, in disagreements, I'm going to love other people with genuineness. By the way, the word genuine here is, is the Greek word, um, apu, uh, 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 I'm sorry, anupakritos. It's where we get our word hypocrisy. Uh, anupakritos, literally hypocrisy. We are to love without divide. We are to love with genuineness. It's real. It comes from Christ. It's overwhelmed by Christ. It's presented to others. In fact, notice what he says in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection, phileo, Philadelphia. Outdo one another in showing honor. We ought to be leading the way in honor. That's what it means to outdo one another. We ought to be leading the race when it comes to honor to people. When it comes to love and honor, Christians 
lead the way. By the way, this is exactly, precisely what Christ did. Jesus was loving, but he didn't agree with everybody. Jesus was loving in disagreement. I mean, consider God himself. Just because God loves you doesn't mean that he agrees with you. Love and agreement are not the same. God doesn't love us because he sees eye to eye on everything that we do. He's not hypocritical by that because love takes a step forward. In the same way, I might not agree with you and you might not agree with me. We can disagree with people around us, but I can love you because I have this love that's been poured out to me by God. I don't have to agree with you to love you. If you're married, you know this. If you have kids, you know this. I disagree with my wife sometimes. Or more so, she disagrees with me. And I gotta be honest, I think in those moments I'm right. She thinks she's right. And we have these disagreements. You know the one thing that doesn't change in those disagreements? Is that we love one another. See, when we let disagreements begin to define love, we've redefined what love is. Love doesn't mean we're going to agree all the time. Love trumps any disagreement. That's the beauty of Christianity. This is the beauty. See, tolerance says, you got to approve what I do. you got to agree with me. But love responds and says, I'm going to do something harder. I'm going to love you even when your behavior offends me. I'm going to love you even when I disagree. This is Jesus. He didn't always agree. The Pharisees, the sinners, but he loved them. He loved them in spite of it. He loved his enemies. Even on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why? Because love and agreement are not the same thing. We can love by showing dignity and respect and honor even though we disagree with somebody. In fact, Paul here writes, this is a distinguishing mark of someone who presents their body as a living sacrifice. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. But notice what he says in verse 9. In between this, he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This is number three. Communicate truth unapologetically. Yes, we show dignity and respect for all people, but we don't back down from the truth. We communicate truth unapologetically. We're not to back down from the truth. In fact, what Paul writes here is we ought to abhor what is evil. The word abhor literally means to shrink back. It's something that we see that causes us to kind of cringe a moment, to kind of pull away. And we say, that's, that's not right. We abhor what is evil. But we cling to what is good. I remember a couple years ago, I was in my garage working on something. I was using Gorilla Glue. I don't know if you ever used that Gorilla Glue, and I got a little bit on my finger, and I was blown away that I could not get my finger to separate. I mean, it was glued tight. It took scrubbing and scrubbing to get my finger to be unglued by the Gorilla Glue. That's the word here. Literally, it means to be glued together. We hold fast. We stick to what is good. I want you to think about this for a moment. We don't deny good to agree with somebody. We don't back down from what is right to agree with somebody. We disagree if we think it's wrong. 
See, Paul here, he's commanding us to detest that which is detestable to God. Immorality, injustice, addictions, indifference, we all ought to shrink back from it and hold tightly to what is good. In fact, to tolerate evil is to deny justice. If good tolerated evil, it wouldn't be good anymore. Now, I know we live in a culture that's beginning to say, okay, we're going to redefine what is evil and good. We're going to redefine and say, well, God's word allows us. God's word. And search the scriptures, and you're going to find that you and I are responsible to communicate the truth even when people disagree with it. Yes, we do it with dignity and respect. We do it with love. But we are going to disagree, and we stand for truth. God did this perfectly, didn't he? In the garden, he loved Adam and Eve, and yet he, he called out their sin. Noah and the flood, God was calling out sin. I mean, the enemies of Israel, the idol worship in Israel, every time. Jesus, by the way, was not always tolerant in the way that our new definition prescribes. No, at times, he stood against the religious leaders. At times, he said these words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He showed a narrow way of salvation and exclusive inclusivity. He wasn't evil. He was intolerant of sin. He was intolerant of hypocrisy. He was intolerant of selfishness, all because he communicated truth. By the way, you don't have to look any farther than the cross to get the idea that God hates evil. I mean, what did God do on the cross? He took his only son and he put him on a cross and put sin upon him, had him beaten and whipped and mocked and scorned. Why? Because God wanted to show us he hated sin. He didn't just say, I agree with you. You're fine. We're in agreement. He did not tolerate sin. And so as God, he paid for sin for us. He could not allow evil. In fact, you could say the cross was divine intolerance. The cross demonstrates God's character of love and justice, that he loves well, but he doesn't back down from the truth. Can I tell you, if we don't actually speak the truth and live the truth, could it be that we really don't love people? Like, isn't it true that the most unloving thing to do would be for God to say, I'm not dying for your sins. I'm going to leave you in your sin and leave you to the door of judgment. That would be the most unloving thing to do. And yet God in grace and mercy came to rescue us, to give us a new picture. See, tolerance is not just allowing people to have a belief that we disagree with. Tolerance is speaking the truth in love, respect, and dignity. By the way, this is exactly what the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most read verses and passages at weddings. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says, Love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It doesn't accept wrongdoing. It doesn't applaud wrongdoing. It stands against wrongdoing by standing for what is true. Let me illustrate what I mean. Imagine for a moment we're in another city and I need to catch a flight back to Ohio, to Columbus. And we're standing in an airport, let's say it's in Arizona, Phoenix, and you say, hey, listen, you're safe here. Get on any plane you want to get on. Get on any of them. They'll all take you back to Ohio. 
I'll take you back to Columbus. Just jump on any plane. And I look at you and say, you know what? You love me, man. You, you love me. You're directing me. You're getting me on the right plane. You're getting me home. Thank you for that. I love you. I'm so appreciative. You show me honor. You're getting me home. I get on the plane. It doesn't come to Columbus. It goes to Afghanistan. It goes to Iran. It goes to Iraq. Now think about that for a moment. You gave me truth. There's a plane that goes to Ohio somewhere. You didn't give me the whole truth. You accepted all these things are true. And it led me to a dangerous place. That's the most unloving thing you could do. It would be like a parent allowing their kid to run in the street with scissors. It would be the most unloving and intolerant thing. We would, none of us would tolerate that. Here's the question. When dealing with someone that disagrees with me, is what I'm disagreeing with sinful? Is what I'm disagreeing with, is what I'm standing for true? That is the question. And if it is sinful, or it is against the truth, I have a responsibility to tactfully, lovingly, with dignity, point out the faultiness of it. Now I want to go back to what we find here. Because this goes on. If you skip down to verse 17, Paul continues. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says, listen, repay no one for evil. If, if you don't like what they're doing, be honorable. He says, if possible, live with peace with everybody. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourself. You're not an avenger. I'm not an avenger. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some, something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is number four. Leave judgment and vengeance to God. In the end, we disagree, we speak the truth, we show love and dignity, we honor Christ above all relationship, and we leave the person in the hands of God. We leave judgment to them. We leave the final say to God. God has the final say. That means you and I are not the managers of the universe. So many of us are trying to make our point. We want to win an argument. We always correct other people. No. We show love. We hate evil. We honor Christ. We leave them in the hands of God. See, we're not just arguing a point. We're arguing to a place. We're not just trying to make a point and win an argument. We're trying to guide people to Christ. We're trying to guide people to the truth. By the way, I love this illustration here. He says, listen, if somebody's disagreeing with you, they're like your enemy. If they're hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, give them drink. If, they're, if they need something, give it to them. And when you do that, you're, you're actually putting a heap of coals, burning coals on their head. Now, the question is, what does that mean? In, in their culture, burning coals was all around everywhere. In fact, you would find it out in a courtyard of homes, you would find it in the house usually. There would be places of fires, burning coals. Why? People would make food. People would want to stay warm. And so there were all these burning coals everywhere. And so 
the idea of this would be like us saying, throw some cold water on them. The idea by putting burning coals would be to wake them up. Wake them up to what is true. And if not, if it doesn't wake them up, it certainly will be a reminder to them of your kindness when the judgment comes. See, people may not, may not agree with us. When we stand for what is right, they may not agree with us. But in our love, in our kindness, in our dignity, in our respect, we actually put on their head a wake-up call of this is what it looks like to live differently. We leave judgment and vengeance to God. We put coals on your head to say this is truth, and one day you're going to have to answer for this. And that leads to the last point, and that is this. Build relationships with people who see the world differently. Build relationships with people who see the world differently. When I read this text, and if I were to read every verse in this text, there is a call for you and I to build relationships with people that see things differently, that we may not agree with. Now, that doesn't mean we back down. That doesn't mean we just say, I tolerate you and approve you and agree with you. It means that we love them well and we bring them the truth. This is a call to build relationship with people that see the world differently. Notice verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, disagreement with good. This idea of overcoming is actually a military term, a war term, and it literally means to wrestle together. It means to wrestle to the ground. But the way we do it isn't by attacking them. It's not by going to social media and giving our opinion. The way we overcome, the way we wrestle them to the ground is through love, through good. The way we wrestle them to the ground is through dignity and respect. We don't back down our opinion, but we win them by our action. We don't back down from the truth, but we win them because we live differently. In a world that says, tolerance is, you got to agree with me. A very intolerant statement, by the way. You better agree with me. You better approve me. We respond differently and say, no, 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 I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth, but I'm going to love you enough to draw you in to a right relationship with the creator of the universe, the God of all. There is no model of people in the world who hold the truth as Christians should and treat people with love as Christians should. There is no model of people on the planet that should be kind and gentle and yet not back down from the truth. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique. And when we live that way, we break down faulty assumptions, the faulty assumptions about our lives. So, how do we do that? I want to give you quickly just practical steps as to how, if you have a disagreement with someone, how you deal with this. What do I do if I disagree with someone? Just a couple things. First of all, ask God what he wants to teach you. Ask God what he's teaching you. See, your relationship with Christ trumps every other relationship. And so what is God teaching you in this moment? Secondly, go humbly to the person in love. Go humbly to them. Say, I've got something to share with you. I've got a concern. I've got a disagreement. I'm coming to you in love. Thirdly, apologize for any wrongdoing without qualification. If you've done wrong, or maybe you've acted wrongly, or maybe you've said something you shouldn't say, this is an opportunity for forgiveness. You be the first to say you're sorry. You be the first to say, I've got it wrong. I came too strongly. I, I was too harsh. I love you. 
I'm not backing down from the truth, but I want to have the right approach. Fourthly, confront with kindness. Once you get that right, then you confront with kindness. You come at them with your truth, but do it with kindness, with God's word, with, with the help of the Holy Spirit. We treat people with kindness. We confront them, but we always do it with kindness. And then lastly, we leave them with the hand, in the hands of God. We leave them in the hands of God. Ultimately, God will have the last say. I am not the avenger. God is the avenger. And I want to I end with this kind of picture for a moment. My wife loves art. We have a craft room, and she's really good about making things. And she's done some paintings, and they're absolutely beautiful. Uh, she's very artistic. She can do a lot of different things. I'm blown away. We should just start a project. You know, just I'm like, I don't even know how you're going to do that. And she does it. And uh, I remember some of the paintings that she painted. And, and so because of her uh, hobby and because of her love for art, I've grown a little bit of appreciation for what is artistic. And I don't know if you've seen this in our world today, but art is drastically changing. Like, for example, Time Magazine labeled an art piece from years ago uh, called The Greatest Art Piece of Our Decade, and it was literally a toilet. A toilet was considered one of the greatest art pieces of our generation. Blown away by that. I mean, a toilet, something that is nasty, and it, it, it doesn't have any beauty to it, really. It's there to serve us and yet it was considered one of the greatest art pieces. Or how about this? There was recently a blank canvas that was sold for $15 million. It was considered art, a blank canvas, and it sold for $15 million. Here's the picture I want to paint. That's the way our world views tolerance. Tolerance is you can't tell me I'm wrong, you can't change me, you can't speak anything true because your truth is just to you and my truth is to me and both of them are equally true. It doesn't work. It's contradictory. It's sloppy. It's not beautiful. But when we, when we disagree with someone and show them love and dignity and respect, when we disagree with someone and we actually give them the truth but in a different way, in a different form, in a different reaction, when we don't go to Facebook or, or Instagram and just bash somebody, but we go and we say, hey, I've got an issue with you and I love you and I'm going to tell you this disagreement, but I'm going to love you through this. When we confront the way we're supposed to, we're the one that God is making beautiful art out of. We are the mosaic of God, of God pouring and showing people what it looks like to have a relationship with the God of the universe that didn't agree with their sin died on a cross for them, and rose again for them, for them. We get to paint the picture of the beauty of God when we disagree, and yet we love. Would you bow with me as we pray? And I want to encourage you, if you're here, you're listening, you're watching, you don't have Christ in your life, you've never transferred your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ alone, and maybe right now God is pricking your heart, he, he doesn't agree with you, God didn't agree with your sin. That's why he came to die for you. He loved you enough to die for you. Maybe today would be the day of your salvation. If you want to know what that looks like, would you just hit the live prayer button and say, I'm going to get some prayer with some people. We have people ready to pray for you. If you know Christ and you're walking through a season where you're disagreeing with somebody and maybe you've reacted wrongly or, or maybe you want to approach them rightly or maybe you become tolerant with the new definition of tolerance and you're not standing for the truth, would you just right there ask for prayer? Just say, would you pray for me? I want to stand for the truth, and I want to react lovingly.
I want to be a picture of the beauty of God. Uh, God, I want to thank you for your word. We live in a culture that's increasingly pressed against your followers. And God, it is our responsibility to love you. It is our responsibility to show you a different picture. So may we do that well. May we honor you above all relationships. May we treat people with love, dignity, and respect. May we speak the truth in love and yet honesty. And may we leave people in your hands and not try just to make a point, but lead to a way. Offer your name, Jesus, our Savior, our good, faithful God. Amen.